Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. If you would, this morning, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. We'll be in uh, chapter 28, starting in verse 11. Um, but as you're turning there, I just want to just say a couple of things. I hope that um, your, your year has started out well, just like you wanted to. I know that for a lot of people, New Year's resolutions um, are started a little bit before um, the New Year starts, and then by the time the second happens, your resolution's already gone, gone and you just kind of throw them to the side and say, I, I really wasn't going to do that anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. But I hope that you've had a great Christmas, and now that it's over with, we get back to the grind tomorrow, and um, everything will be really, really good. How many of you got or received a Christmas gift this year that you are really proud of? Okay, better luck next year, Okay. How many of you got something that you really, I think, would be a, like a family heirloom that you'll keep and you'll treasure from this year forward? Okay, good. Some of you. Yeah, good. I'm telling you, this is what I got. This is my, my son who is, uh, lives in Kansas City. He's a 28 year, my, my son's 28 years old. I know I don't look like I have a, a son that old, but I do have a daughter who's 26 too. So uh, she makes me older than, than he does. But anyway, this is my gift that I got from Nathan. Now, it doesn't look like much. People would say, oh, yeah, good. He, gave, he got you a stick of deodorant. That's pretty good, Daryl. That's a, that's a great gift. And somebody, what do you need, Daryl, with a, a big old tube of lipstick? That's not what this is. This is a puzzle box. Yeah, I know it's, it's, if you can see it, it's just what happens is that it's two different pieces, a red piece and a white piece. The red piece on the inside has a design of sorts on, on there. And so you twist it until it comes um, apart and it, and it becomes two, two pieces. And it's hollow on the inside and there's, there was a prize in there. Now, I want you to know I'm smart enough that I opened it already and got the prize out. So if it's laying around, don't steal this, it's mine. But the prize is already gone, so it's, it, it just has sentimental value. It doesn't have, uh, you can't sell it on eBay or make a lot of money or whatever. But it, it opens, you just twist it and you, it's a maze and you just kind of do what you can in order to get it open. I really did open it, right? This is, this is going to sit on my desk forever. And it's not because it's the most intricate design. It's not because it's the, the best made um, puzzle box that there is. But it's because my son made it. In fact, uh, he not only, he, he printed it on his 3D printer. Now, I, I'm amazed at those things, that they're even able to do that. Um, but this reminds me of Nathan. Every time I look at it, I just think, okay, with his two hands, he just created something that was pretty neat and pretty uh, different. For his mother, though, he did something that was just a little bit different. He made her, he, he, he built for her a bench uh, to go on the front porch right beside the, uh, the door so that when, not for people to come and sit down on it, more or less, but for packages when they're delivered or just make it look nice on the, on, on the front porch. She has asked me several times um, if, if I would make her a bench. And, you know, like every normal husband, 
I just don't have time. I'll say I'll do it, but I just don't have time. And I keep telling her, listen, I'll get to it. Quit nagging me every six months, all right? I'll get to it. What happens is that Nathan built this, and he, he found out that that's what Tanya wanted. And so in Kansas City, he built it, and then he brought it down, and then finished it up here at the house. But it's his first attempt at building any kind of furniture. And you know what that means, right? It's perfect. It worked out just great. In his mom's eyes, it is perfect without flaws. Now, I look at it and I say, Nathan, did you cut all these pieces together or did you just kind of wing it? Right, Dennis? It's kind of like, okay, you can't really do some of the things. You, but in, in, her, in his mom's eyes, it is absolutely the best thing in the world. It is stained just right. It is varnished just right. And even though the legs are a little bit different, that's what gives it character. And it doesn't wobble, so it, it's really good. But me, my master craftsman eye, I look at it and I see a look, but I never say anything because why? Nathan is very, very proud of this bench. He built it with his own two hands. He did something himself. He made it for his mom. That's what his mom wanted. That's what he built. He accomplished it, and he is very proud. He's not really so proud of this because he says, Dad, I do this stuff all the time. I could do this. Not a big deal. But that's what I'm proud of, and the bench is what Tony's proud of, and the bench is what Nathan is proud of. Now, I say that to start off this morning by saying that when we look at Ezekiel chapter 26, starting in verse 11 through uh, probably to the end of the, of the chapter, we will look and see what it means to be proud. And it is okay to be proud. For us, some of the things that we're proud of are things that are really, really um, uh, big in our life. Some of you are proud of your family. Some of you are proud of your job. Some of you are proud of academic achievements. Some of you are proud that you followed through on something that was a challenge to you. Some of you are proud that you accomplished something this last year that you've never even tried before. Or even in the case of this year in resolutions, you're proud that you are going to start anew and doing some incredible things this year. And I say hold to that. One of the things that is very, very common for us, even as church, church uh, folk, is this, is that I promise I'm going to resolve to read the Bible through this year. How many of you have ever made that, um, that resolution? I'm not going to ask you if you followed through. I'm just saying, have you ever made that? Okay. Most of us have. And what happens is that you read Genesis and you love it. All the stories, all the action, all the everything, the characters, everything you get involved in, really in the Exodus, Genesis and then Exodus. Oh, a lot of stories, Leviticus, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a how everything's being built, then Numbers, and then you get to Deuteronomy and you go, what, what is that? How can you read that? And that's normally where everybody stops in their reading list, right? So it's kind of like, okay, we get to, get to Leviticus and Numbers and uh, let's find something else to read. I would I encourage you, just press on. Just keep pressing through. If this is the year that you're saying, I'm going to read my Bible through, make it this year. Don't put it off and say, well, maybe I'll try it next year. Do it this year and resolve to make a difference in your life. 
One of the things that we're looking at in the book of Ezekiel over the past few weeks, Josh has, has tried to, to kind of impress on us that Ezekiel is a tough book to, to read. And if we just take it as face value, if we just read it as a, a cursory devotional type of thing, I think we'll miss out on everything that God has for us in this book. In fact, we look at it, we say, ah, I don't really understand that. It doesn't mean very much to me. And so therefore I will just kind of glaze over and, and I just miss out on some things. And so today I want to just kind of break it down a little bit and let's see what we can, um, we can figure out about what it is that Ezekiel is trying to tell us. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 11. As we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one that is here. I pray that in the sound of my voice, whether it be here on the campus or whether it be um, uh, on the internet, that your word would be magnified, that what your message is to your people would be heard and received in our hearts. And so this morning, we come to you with open hearts and open minds, asking you, begging you, pleading with you that you would even in our weakness, that you would reveal yourself, that we would be unmistakable in your presence in our lives. So this morning, as we open your word, would you speak to us for love you? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Ezekiel is kind of an interesting thing. It is um, Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 11. It's page 774 if you're in the right Bible. If you're not, well, then you just look on the neighbors beside you. But one of the things that we're talking about in the last few weeks is the context of what Ezekiel is all about. Ezekiel is kind of a, a um, symbolic um, language book. It, it kind of begs us to jump in the middle of it. And at times we look at it, we understand and we follow, okay, that makes sense. That's historically accurate. That's, that's where I can follow. But at times it kind of gets off in some kind of symbolic language that we're going like, okay, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. It's kind of like, remember the first week when Josh put up a whole bunch of pictures? I think this is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. Do you remember the pictures that he set up there, that he put up there? One of them was the Arkansas murder log. I think it was Mar Arkansas or a Louisiana murder log. Ultimately, it was just an alligator. But if you look at it symbolically, it looks like a log and it looks and it will murder you. And so he's trying to tell us, Josh is trying to tell us, communicate that Ezekiel is the same way. Sometimes what we see with our eyes is not really what it is. So we have to look at it with our heart and God's intent in our lives in order to be able to really understand what God says. So the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord God says. Now, in the beginning and the opening statements of Ezekiel chapter 28, we understand that there are certain things that are at play. The Lord is speaking. God is speaking to his prophet, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a, a prophet. Now, you know that, remember the difference between what a prophet and a priest were? The priest was somebody who speaks for the people to God. A prophet is a person who's, or a guy who speaks for God to the people. So a priest can get it wrong. He could, he could be selfish in his desires to ask God for whatever it is that he wants and get it wrong and say, I shouldn't have done that. It's kind of like me asking for a Ferrari. God, would you bless me with a Ferrari? I'll use it for ministry. I'll do some incredible things with it, but I really want a Ferrari. I don't want a Honda. I want a Ferrari. And that's what I can, you can get it wrong. But a prophet 
has words from God and speaks through him to the people because it is for their benefit. And you know whether a prophet is true or from God because if the, the prophet or the prophecy comes true, not, not, saying, not saying it's a, a fortune teller type of guy, but it's a forth telling, a, a telling forth of scripture or a, a telling forth of God's word to the people. If it is true, it is of God. And that's the way they knew it was a true prophet or not. And so it's coming, the word of God is coming through the prophet Ezekiel to this guy, the king of Tyre. Historically, this is, is uh, Ithabal II. Is, he is literally, Josephus tells us, the historian, uh, Jewish historian tells us that he was actually a guy. And so we're looking at this and God is saying through his word, I'm raising up a guy in order to be able to show you as an example of what it is that I'm going to do. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord says to the king of Tyre. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Whoa, okay, let's stop right there. Now, if this is actually a guy, the king of Tyre, now Tyre was a city on the Mediterranean Sea. It was kind of at the edge of the, the Middle East, and it was actually a city. In fact, many people and many historians would say it was literally a fortress built kind of outside of, it was built into the water. It was an, almost an impregnable um, fortress. It was called the Fortress of God because it had so many temples and so many things inside this fortress, but yet it was almost unattainable. It was, it was a, a fortress that people thought it's going to last for years because nobody could go and attack it because it was out as an island to itself. And so historically, that's what it was. And it was, it was actually a place. And so there was a king of Tyre and God is speaking to Ezekiel, an actual guy. And he says to you, you were the seal of perfection. Now we know nobody's perfect, but this is symbolic language, full of wisdom. Sure. Perfect in beauty. He must have been kind of a good-looking guy. You were in Eden. He says that. So it tells me there's something symbolic about what is being said rather than just on the surface level. And so today, in the few minutes that we have, I want you to look at this, these, these verses through three different lenses. One, through the lens of Adam or man. Two, through the lens of the king of Tyre, a person or, and number three, through the lens of yourself or you and I. And we'll kind of go through that and break it down just a little bit and, and able to do it. Now, the first 15 verses, you'll notice these are all you were statements. You were. And then it comes to verse uh, 16, until, and then from 17 on, so I. So God is saying you were until, so I. I responded to whatever it is that you did. But looking through these three lenses, let's look at what's going on. Through the lens of Adam or man. Now, we know Adam was created in Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man. And he says at the end of the statement, when God created man, he says, and it was good. So God's design was for Adam to live in perfect harmony with him. In fact, he created the, this Garden of Eden to be a perfect place in order to be able to start what God had created. He created the Garden of Eden and man in order to have fellowship with him. You see, he had already made the angels. 
He had already made creation of sorts, but the angels could not reciprocate love to him, and that's what he wanted. They would do his, whatever it is that he desired, he, they, would, they would carry out anything that he, he wanted, but there was something within man that was made that causes us to love him. In fact, the Bible says we don't love him because he does good. We love him because he loved us first. And so he made us in perfect relationship with him and placed him in a garden wherever he would have all of his needs met without a problem. But here's where it says, you were the seal of perfection. So Adam was made with this seal from God in a perfect manner. He was made in a way that was perfect, full of wisdom, had all knowledge, all the things that was needed uh, in order to be able to do what it is that God made him to do. It was to till and to cultivate the garden, and it was to work the soil. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament before the fall, when it talks about to till and cultivate, cultivate and work, it had a positive connotation to it, that that's what we would love to do, and that work was something that was fun for us, and what we were created to do. It was after the fall that we were, we were then condemned to work and toil by the sweat of our brow. And so in the perfect sense of where God created us, it was that we were perfect just like what we uh, were needed to be or what we were intended to be. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's where Adam was. And every kind of precious stone covered you. Now, I don't really understand what this means, except for the fact that our bodies, Adam's body, was perfect. And it was, it was made in such a way that it was going to be very good to look out. Um, uh, cornelian, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, we can go on. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created and you were anointed a guardian cherub. Well, wait a minute. We've got to stop there because now you're going from man or Adam to something that was created in heaven before man was made. A guardian cherub. A cherub was a, 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 a special, a special angel that was created. In fact, they are the cherubim that are over the, the, the ark, the, um, um, the ark of the covenant that was created. There's cherubim over there. In fact, the revelation, it talks about the cherubim who, who gather around the throne of God and they are um, praising God. So it talks about this cherubim being covering they have, they spread their wings out in two different ways. One, to cover over and to guard what was underneath them or to raise their wings in triumph or in, in um, salute or to, in, in worship of God. So the cherubim were there. God created them. But we know that Adam was a man and not a created angel. So it can't be speaking about Adam here, could it? For I had appointed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. Now, wait a minute. Uh, there's no way. Adam walked on the earth. He didn't walk on the holy mountain of God. He wasn't in the heavens with God. So it could be, it must be speaking about somebody else. But you walked among the fiery stones from the day you were created. You were blameless in your ways. And we know that Adam was blameless in his ways until he sinned. The fall came when they took into their own hands what God said, don't do. They said, we're going to do. And so the fall happened, and man was a fallen creature from that point. So if we look at these verses through the lens of mankind, we see that what God created for us, we were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, 
We were in Eden, probably is a reference to, in the lens of man, it is a reference to God's eyesight of knowing that he was going to create somebody. He was going to create some man, some woman, in order to populate the earth. And so it tells us that God had an eye for what was going on. Creation didn't just happen, and then the fall happened, and then God said, oh no, this catches me off guard, I don't know what to do. You know, God's plan was God's plan. And we don't know what God's plan is because his ways are higher than ours. One day we will know exactly what's going on and why he allows things to happen, why he allowed sin to enter the world, why he allows all of these things to go on. We don't understand now, but we just trust God that he had a plan from the very beginning. His, he is never caught off guard. He never says, oops. He never says, now wait, what? He always knows what is happening. That's the sovereignty of our God. And so, as a man, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were an Eden in the garden. Every kind of precious stone covered you, and you were anointed to do incredible things. We look at this from a man's standpoint, standpoint. Mankind, Adam, the created man, is that God created mankind to do some incredible things. How we walk in that plan makes all the difference in the world. Now, if we take the number two lens and we look at it through the man, the, the king of Tyre, we look at it two different ways. In, instead of mankind, we, kinda, we can point to them and say, okay, you guys did that. It kind of takes off the personal responsibility from us and just points to them, mankind, and say, you guys did that. Now let's take it and be a little bit more personal. Talking about the king of Tyre himself. And you see this and, um, and kind of see if you can picture this man uh, in front of you. When God says through Ezekiel, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Okay, back up. How could this king of Tyre be in Eden? Nobody knows where Eden is. Where, how could he be? So again, symbolic language, but yet now we're talking on a personal level. Every kind of precious stone covered you, meaning that he was given all kinds of incredible things. In fact, the king of Tyre in that day and time was known to touch anything and it literally, literally, but metaphorically turn to gold. Everything He was making money hand over fist. He was the epitome of a businessman that was a success. And that was his downfall. So as the king of Tyre, who is the king of a huge domain, a huge, huge uh, kingdom, he had all the riches, all the money, all the wealth that he could ever want. But God has a, a word for him. You were an anointed cherub. And if we take that and, and just kind of massage that a little bit, is that you were created and placed as an anointed setting to be the king in order to be able to, to accomplish some great, incredible things. For I had appointed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. The fiery stones is seraphim. We've heard of cherubim. Seraphim is literally the, the Hebrew word for fiery stones. So the ones that were the cherubim, the guardian angels, the seraphim were the warrior or messenger angels. They did whatever it is that God wanted them to do. And so the guardian cherub was taken out from amongst that group and put to a different place. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways. God set up the kingdom. 
And he said, you will now accomplish the things that I want you to accomplish. Turn over in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll see where this kind of changes for us. Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven, I will set up my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount of God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north, I will ascend above the highest clouds, I will make myself the most high, but you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. Now we understand by, by studying that that scripture was literally Satan. That scripture is talked about as Satan, which is the adversary, which was the fallen angel that was literally in heaven with God. And then he decided that he could become God. And he wanted, his, uh, he wanted an unrightful place to be above God. And so he said, I'm going to do what it is that you have not created me to do. And so God in Revelation, in Daniel, in, in, um, in Job, tells us that God took Lucifer, Satan, and he cast him to the ground, cast him to the earth, became the, savior, or the, the um, champion of this earth. And that's why he roams around now. And we have problems with Satan because he is here. He is not in heaven. He has been fallen. And God took him and cast him down to the ground in Isaiah chapter 14. But we look at that through the lens of the king of Tyre. For Satan was the seal of perfection. In fact, when God made Satan or Lucifer, it was said that he was of great beauty, far better than anybody else. He was probably the music director in heaven, singing praises, coming up with all kinds of adorations of God. And that's probably one of the things that because he was beautiful and because he could sing and because he had command over all kinds of things, his ego got to the point where he said, I can become just like who created me. It's kind of as if your mailbox that you created one day says to you, leave me alone. Um, I'm now in charge of you. That would be ludicrous because you made the mailbox. The mailbox didn't make you, but that's kind of what Satan was doing with God. And so God struck him down and sent him to the earth. And so if we look at this through the lens of the king of Tyre and through the lens of Lucifer, we see that Lucifer was the seal of perfection full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Satan was, Lucifer was in Eden, and every kind of precious stone covered you. You were anointed the guardian cherub. You were the one that stood beside God and was his guardian angel. For I had appointed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked with God. You walked among the fiery stones of the other seraphim. From the day you were created, you were blameless in all your ways. God had a plan for Satan. But in verse 15b, until the wickedness was found in you, through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I expelled you in disgrace. And so if we look at it from just a 20,000 foot view, we see that it's talking about the the king of, of, of Tyre, but it's also talking about Satan. What I'm saying to you this morning is this. The king of Tyre had all the wealth, all the riches, all everything that he ever wanted at his fingertips. But the controlling factor behind him was Satan. 
And he allowed Satan to come into his life and tell him and tempt him and to, t- to, to tell him that he could become the greatest that there ever was. He could become a god. Through the lens of the king of Tyre, we see his downfall. And so we move into the third section, the so I section. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you. That could be both from Satan and from the king of Tyre, because there would be a downfall in the kingdom of Tyre. Um, And I banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the ground. I made you a spectacle before kings and profaned your, um, your sanctuaries by the magnitude of your iniquities. In your dishonest trade, so I made fire come from with you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground. In the sight of everyone watching you, all those who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become an object of horror and will never exist again. What God is saying on two different levels, he's talking to the king of of Tyre and said, because I gave you everything and because you corrupted what it is that I gave you, then the repercussions will come in and I will remove your power and remove everything from you. You see, that's what the whole book of Ezekiel is talking about is that God's chosen people stay true to God's word. Do what it is that God wants you to do. No matter what the rest of the world looks like, it looks like they're profiting. It looks like that they are, they are becoming greater and bigger and, and being blessed, but stay true to God's word because all of this stuff will eventually be taken away. Because what happens is that if we don't, as people reflect God, then God is a jealous God and he will take everything from us. You've been blessed with a lot of things in your life as as well as I have. We've been blessed with a great church. We've been blessed with, with a great family. We've been blessed with all kinds of things, but at least we think that we did it ourselves. We are woefully short in understanding. It's even kind of like your house. You might have saved for years in order to be able to make a down payment, and now you're making faithfully those payments to that house. And, and you feel like, man, I've done so much work that I've created all this stuff. I, I should be proud of what I've got. And what happens is that sometimes for us, our pride is placed in what we've accomplished. Some of the things that we do, the job that we have, have, um, have grown, the family that we have raised, the whatever it is that we have, our, our attention becomes that. This word Lucifer, which is Satan, is his original name was light bearer. And what happens is that instead of bearing the light of God, what happened to Lucifer is that he became wanting of self. And so as he was supposed to and created to reflect the light and the glory of God to others, he began to absorb the light and the glory of God for himself. And when we start doing that, then we run counter to what God wants in our life. When we are so prideful that we think it's what I've done that we become abhorrent to people, an object to be ridiculed, because when we have 
pride in its rightful place. We will be proud of what God is doing through us, but not because of us. We will be proud of our God because he can accomplish everything that he said he's going to accomplish, and he wants to do it through us. You're living in a house, and it's a house that you've paid for, a house maybe that you've built, a house that is, you can be proud of. But that pride will be taken away if you don't use that for the glory of God. You see, God has placed you in your neighborhood in order to be able to do things that only you can do. He puts you in that house, in that neighborhood, so that you could reach your neighbors for Jesus. I can't go into your neighborhood and reach your neighbors because they don't know who I am. But they see you day in and day out. And when we leverage that understanding in order to be able to reach the people uh, that God has given to us, we understand what the pride is. But if we just go there to our house every single week and say, ah, look what I've built, look what I have, look what I've attained, and that pride is about you and not about God, then God says he will take it away. The book of Ezekiel is very, very clear. You do something in opposition to God, he's going to let it happen for a while, and it looks like you might benefit. But in the end, he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Let's look at this last couple of verses, verse 25 and 26. I'm out of time. This is what the Lord God says. When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples where they are scattered, I will demonstrate my holiness through them in the sight of the nations that they will live in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live there securely, build houses, and plant vineyards. They will live securely where I execute judgment against all of their neighbors who treat them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. You see what happened to the king of Tyre. He became proud. God had given him much, and he became proud. And his pridefulness caused him to think of of himself, I am like God. I can do all things. It's me that has accomplished all of these things. And the Bible clearly says it is literally God's design that I will use him for my purpose. So in light of Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 25 and 26, God's promise to his people that he will give you eventually what it is that you need, that you will feel secure and you will accomplish what it is that he wants. There is a plan and an appointment for all three of us. God's design from the very beginning was for our benefit and not for our demise. All this did not happen by chance or catch God off guard. We don't understand, but one day we will. When we look at the Word of God, we either believe it or we dismiss it. Arrogance and pride manifest itself in a dismissive form. Brokenness and repentance are evidence of a belief in God. Again, let's look at the, the final three verses. Or final two verses. This is what the Lord God says. In verse 26, they will live there securely, build houses and plant vineyards. They will live securely when I execute judgment against all their neighbors. In view of mankind, Hebrews 9.27 says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, 
And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of work so that no man can boast. For we are, mankind, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God for mankind had a plan and a purpose for us. Through the lens of Satan or the king of Tyre, what does he have? Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven holding his hand, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. There's a plan for Satan. It didn't catch God off guard. But what happens is that no longer will we be deceived when Satan is taken care of. And then finally, for us as individuals, through the lens of us as individuals, John 14, 3 says this, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in John 14, 6, we like Thomas, we would say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And in closing, let me just reassure you that God has a plan and a purpose. Ezekiel is kind of hard to understand, but when we take it in small pieces, he, he says, the world around you looks like they're profiting. We, as God's people, need to stay true. Don't become proud of what it is that you've accomplished. Take pride in what God has done. In a, in a biblical pride is a good thing. John 14, 1 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. That's God's great promise, as in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 25 and 26. No matter what you're going through, God has a purpose and a plan. And he wants you and he designed you to live in communion with him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.